Hello everyone, I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell, also coming to you from Charlotte. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, updates regarding Hillsong and Ravi Zacharias. Also, our list of highly paid ministry executives and a new generous living feature. But we begin today with the riot in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, specifically with reaction from faith leaders to the violence. A mob of supporters of President Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday. American religious leaders reacted quickly to a chaotic and unprecedented scene. From succinct prayers to calls for President Trump to ask rioters to halt the faith leaders' statements mostly appealed for unity. But a few affirmed the president and expressed their support for protesters. Franklin Graham and Eric Metaxas made the unsubstantiated claim that the mob that stormed the Capitol building might be related to left-leaning militant groups that had infiltrated the Trump-supporting protesters. But most evangelical leaders took a more rational approach, even those leaders who had supported Trump in the past. Robert Jeffries, for example, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, said that disobeying and assaulting police is a sin, whether it's done by Antifa or angry Republicans. J.D. Greer, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, said, Peaceable transitions of power have marked our republic since the beginning. It's part of honoring and submitting to God's ordained leaders, whether they were our choice or not. Greer also called on President Trump to condemn the actions of the mob. Pastor Rick Warren said that armed breaching of Capitol security behind a Confederate flag is anarchy, un-American, criminal treason, and domestic terrorism. President Trump must clearly tell his supporters, we lost. Go home now. Warren, we have reactions from many more evangelical leaders on the Ministry Watch website, and most of them are along the lines of those from J.D. Greer and Rick Warren that we just quoted. But the one getting the most attention is the one by Franklin Graham, where he blames Antifa. Yeah, Franklin Graham said the people who broke the windows in the Capitol did not look like the people out there demonstrating. Most likely it was Antifa. Now, honestly, Christine, I think this comment, which is similar to a comment by evangelical commentator Eric Metaxas, did tremendous damage to their credibility. Both Metaxas and Graham are now being openly mocked on social media and elsewhere. But more to the point, Metaxas and Graham are widely perceived to be leaders in the evangelical movement. Franklin Graham, of course, is the president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse. For Graham to say such things, which are at best unsubstantiated and will likely prove to be false, has created a real moment of reckoning among evangelicals. Dr. Michael Brown, who is about as conservative as they come, has said that perhaps we evangelicals should pay more attention to the truth than to Trump, and even such staunch Trump supporters as Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, who spent 20 years in Christian ministry before turning to politics, spoke on the floor of the Senate Wednesday night to say that he could no longer support efforts to examine election results. Senator Lindsey Graham, who has 
been perhaps Trump's staunchest supporter in the Senate, said pretty much the same thing. But I thought perhaps the most telling statement came from the Reverend Johnny Moore, who has been President Trump's closest evangelical supporter and one of the organizers of his evangelical advisory group. He released a statement that read in part, violent anarchist behavior is immoral and criminal. It should be summarily condemned, beginning with the President of the United States and its perpetrators ought to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I've got to say, Christina, that when the president loses both Lindsey Graham and Johnny Moore, it may be time to quit fighting. Well, Warren, I'd like to move on in our conversation and talk about a story that we've been following here at Ministry Watch for a year or so. And that's the story of David Jang and a web of organizations that he's involved with. So what's the latest? Yeah, David Jang has been involved with the World Olivet Assembly, which is uh, an evangelical denomination, or at least that's what it calls itself. Uh, He also has a powerful influence over Olivet University, a college with campuses in California and New York, among other places. Now, Olivet University has several thousand students, many of them from Korea. He's also had a controlling interest in the past in the Charlotte Post, whose president, William Anderson, recently pled guilty to a $35 million fraud scheme. So lots of involvement in lots of high-profile Christian organizations, and then some of those organizations have been involved in questionable behavior. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, the latest news is that a division of Olivet, of World Olivet Assembly, again, that's the denomination of churches, has purchased Temple University's former art school campus. Uh, The division of World Olivet Assembly is called Creatio International, and they plan to put a new center for artists and architects at that former location, which was the Tyler School of Art in Elkins Park, New Jersey. The sale price is reported to be about $3 million. Well, Warren, let's update a couple more stories before we go to break. Um, First, what's the latest on the Hillsong controversy? Well, the lead pastors of Hillsong's Dallas church have resigned, adding to two months of transition and turmoil in that global megachurch. On Sunday, January the 3rd, Reed Bogard announced that he and his wife were both resigning. They made that resignation in a pre-recorded message that aired during the church's streaming worship service on Sunday. Bogart's departure follows the November firing of Hillsong New York City's lead pastor, Carl Lentz, and Lentz's admission of an extramarital affair. I should say, too, that the Bogarts were involved in the founding of the New York City location, so there is a bit of a relationship between the two. Since Lentz's admission, some of the more famous congregants of Hillsong, most notably Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez, now have reportedly cut ties with with both Lentz and with Hillsong. Well, and there's more news related to Ravi Zacharias. There is. Uh, Moody Radio, one of the largest radio networks in the United States, is among several radio organizations that have dropped Ravi Zacharias' broadcast from its lineup after RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, confirmed many of the allegations of sexual misconduct made against the late apologist. Moody Radio made the announcement Christmas weekend, actually on December 26th, with the cancellations effective immediately. Uh, That statement read in part, uh, 
We are deeply saddened after reading the preliminary report provided to us by Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. These are the words of Doug Hastings, the vice president at Moody Radio. He goes on to say, the picture that is becoming clear about Ravi Zacharias through the work of an independent investigator is very much inconsistent with his public ministry. Uh, The preliminary report that he's referring to was released by Miller and Martin, a firm that was hired to investigate these allegations of sexual harassment and sexual abuse that were made by former employees of two Atlanta-area day spas that Ravi Zacharias co-owned. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries shared uh, it uh, and by that, I mean the uh, the preliminary report from Miller and Martin, alongside a statement of their own confirming that while the investigation was ongoing, that this preliminary report indicates that the assessment of Ravi's behavior to be true, that he did indeed engage in sexual misconduct. Um, Moody Radio in their statement, said that they prayerfully consider who they partner with, and as a ministry founded upon the Word of God, we firmly believe that in those positions of leadership and teaching Scripture must be above reproach. And Moody is not alone in these cancellations. No, there it's not. Um, uh, Moody was is actually joining a fairly what's becoming a fairly large group. Uh, Ravi Zacharias was dropped uh, by the American Family Radio Network, which is uh, another large radio network, more than 180 stations around the country. And um, they dropped Ravi Zacharias' program called Let My People Think from its Sunday evening lineup, and they'd been carrying it for almost 20 years. WIHS Christian Radio in Connecticut also confirmed that to Ministry Watch that it was canceling all of Ravi Zacharias' programs, not, not just Ravi's himself, but other folks within that ministry as well. And the Bible Broadcasting Network, which is right here in Charlotte, where you and I are, Christina, um, they actually dropped Ravi Zacharias back in October when the original allegations became public. And BBN operates about 50 radio stations in 32 states. Warren, we need to take a break. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we've resumed our Generous Living series at Ministry Watch, and this week's story is different. Yeah, it is. But, 
you know, rather than tell our listeners about it, Christina, I'd like to let you tell them about it. Um, I want to do that because it may not be obvious to regular listeners that you write the vast majority of these generous living stories for us. We often mention your name at the end of the program as being a contributor uh, to the podcast script, but these are the stories that you do more than just assign or edit, which of course you do for most of our other stories. Uh, you really dig into these. So Christina, what's different about this story? Well, many of the stories that I've done for Ministry Watch as part of our Generous Living series, they've highlighted people and families who have wealth um, and they've chosen to live well below their means to give radically and really creatively in the name of Christ. They're usually gifted businessmen and women and Often there are entrepreneurs, but generosity is not reserved only for the wealthy. So take, for example, the Christian women of Mizoram of Northeast India. And when they heard of a Bible woman, um, and that's what they called an evangelist, who needed financial support, they took that need personally. Um, they didn't have much to give, but they began setting aside of a handful of uncooked rice at each meal and then at the end of the week, they would sell that rice in the market and give the proceeds to the evangelist. Now, Christina, when I was reading your story, you kind of led with that little anecdote. I was thinking, well, that's kind of interesting, but, you know, uh, really just a, a handful of rice today, um, not going to make a big difference. I was amazed to discover the farther I read into your story that this is actually what began the ministry back in 1910. But the practice in a slightly different form continues today. That's right. Except today, instead of selling the rice at the market individually, the women give their rice offerings to the church and then the church sells it and they, they even discount it for the poor. Um, but the money's used primarily to support missionaries and then also for the work of the church. Um, and it's a widespread practice in that area. And I mean, obviously, it's been passed down through multiple generations. Um, one of the women from the Miseron Presbyterian Synod, they said um, something that really stuck out to me. She said, there are many ways for serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are good preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when you talk about this handful of rice, it's very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen where nobody sees, but God knows, and he blesses it. Well, you know, that's a great sentiment. And of course, it's absolutely a biblical one as well. One body, many parts, of course. Um, but has it worked in India? I mean, Christina, I've been to India a couple of times, in fact, and I wouldn't exactly call India a Christian nation. Does it have any impact? Well, you're right. For India as a whole— but um, in Mizoram, where this practice is widespread, it's one of just three states in India where the majority, um, and I'm talking about 87%, claim to be Christians. Um, the largest network of churches there right now is the Mizoram Presbyterian Church. And in 2010, they had more than 500,000 members spanning 1,300 congregations. Um, Baptist, churches are, Baptist churches are also strong there. Um, but just to give you an idea, in 1914, um, the handful of rice collection generated $1.50 in U.S. currency. Um, but in 2009 to 2010, that fiscal year, it produced $1.5 million. And that was 12% of that Presbyterian church's $13 million income. Wow, that is an amazing story. 
It is. Um, And we have another story of Christians loving their neighbors. Yeah, that's right. And by neighbor, we we really mean it. I mean, we've had stories of uh, Samaritan's Purse working around the world in the past, but with the COVID crisis getting so close to home, Samaritan's Purse set up its mobile COVID hospital, the same hospital that's taken all over the country and even all over the world, right in its home or near its home in Western North Carolina. They set up 30 bed hospital in Lenore, North Carolina, which is less than an hour away from uh, Samaritan's Purse's headquarters up in Boone. Uh, The reason they did that is because North Carolina has seen a spike in coronavirus cases this past month, so the extra beds will come in really handy as relief in this region. Warren, we're going to reach back a bit to a story that we didn't get a chance to cover on the podcast when it happened, and that was the bomb explosion that took place in Nashville on Christmas morning. Yeah, you know, we had the story up on our website pretty quickly, but one aspect of the story that I think is worth mentioning here is the way churches almost immediately jumped into action in the Nashville area. Now, you may remember that the explosion took out cell service and internet service for thousands of AT&T customers in the region. Those churches that did have Wi-Fi still intact shared it. Members of Brentwood Hills Church of Christ uh, drove to the church's parking lot on Saturday to use the congregation's Wi-Fi to check email and communicate with their families, and others found fast food parking lots it, where near where they lived that had Wi-Fi working. They would log on to the Wi-Fi network there and participate in live stream services on Sunday. Uh, sometimes they would, in fact, I had friends on Facebook tell me that they would spend a couple of hours in the McDonald's parking lot just bootlegging the Wi-Fi there. Um, Keeping these services online and in some cases sharing their Wi-Fi networks were important um, work that the churches in the Nashville area did, and it was a way that they loved their neighbors, you might say, during a very difficult time. We're going to take another break, but when we return, a new list on the Ministry Watch website, as well as a new feature. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, earlier this week, Ministry Watch unveiled its annual list of some of the highest paid executives in the Christian ministry world. And it was a fascinating, eye-opening list. This is the second year that Ministry Watch has published this list. Um, And I have a lot of questions about it. So let's start with why Ministry Watch publishes this list. 
Well, great question. The main reason is that we think donors to these ministries deserve to know where their money is going. At Ministry Watch, we stand for transparency, and there's no better way to demonstrate transparency than to release these salary numbers. Uh, That's a number that hits kind of close to home for a lot of people, and it's a true indicator of an organization's commitment to transparency. Well, I noticed that you call this list a list of highly paid ministry executives, not the highest paid ministry executives. Why is that? Well, because we know that many pastors and other church leaders who might make more um, than some of the people on the list— but they're not on the list because churches are not required to make their Form 990s available to the public. That's where we get this data from the Form 990. In fact, the person who was at the top of this list a year ago, Jay Seculo, who leads the American Center for Law and Justice, is not even on the list this year because he's found a way to hide his income from scrutiny. Now, I should add that we think this is a really bad idea not to disclose salaries. So we wanted to highlight that reality even in the way we named this list. Well, other than the fact that Jay Seculo is not on this year's list, what else is different? Well, last year's list included only about 50 executives. This year, we expanded the list to 100. Uh, We made this change for a variety of reasons, but the main reason was this. The Ministry Watch database has enlarged pretty significantly in the past year from about 450 ministries to about 750 ministries that we are following. And we had a lot more data, so we wanted to pass along some of that new information that we had uh, to you. Uh, Another important change concerns colleges and universities on our list. Uh, We didn't have very many colleges and universities on our list last year. We've added a lot of colleges, but it's not unusual for the highest paid person at a college, Christian or otherwise, to be the football coach or the basketball coach or the athletic director. So we left all the coaches off of our list because if we had left them on, the list would have been dominated by coaches. Now, a third difference is this. Ministry Watch has identified a growing and disturbing trend among Christian ministries to identify as churches and thereby withhold their Form 990s. A lot of large Christian ministries have been making this election lately, including Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, the Navigators, Gideon's International, Wycliffe Associates, the Billy Graham. Graham Evangelistic Association, Ethnos 360, which used to be called New Tribes Mission. In addition to these pretty well-known ministries, many megachurches and their related radio and television ministries are doing the same thing. They include people like Joel Osteen, David Jeremiah, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, and Kenneth Copeland. So we had to leave some names off the list that we candidly know should probably be on it, but we can't get that information from their Form 990, so we won't publish anything we can't verify. I can only say that here at Ministry Watch, we strongly recommend against giving money to organizations that won't release their Form 990s to the public. Anything else that you want to say about this list? Well, even though we expanded the list significantly from 50 to 100 names, every person on the list makes more than $400,000 a year. And most of the people in the top 10 make more than a million dollars a year. That's a huge amount of money. Are you saying that they shouldn't make that much? 
Well, no, I'm not saying that. Some of these organizations are large and complex, and they require real management expertise. People with those kinds of skills deserve to be paid what they contribute to the organization. But that's not the case in every organization. And in every organization, whether that's the case or not, the donors deserve to know who they're giving to. That's why we recommend that donors study this list closely, and if a ministry you're donating to is on this list and you don't like the number you see or you don't understand why it's so big, you should ask questions. That's both your right and I would say it's your duty as a steward of the resources that God has entrusted to you. Warren, before we go this week, there is a new feature on the Ministry Watch website. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, beginning this week, we plan to spotlight uh, a particular Christian ministry every week. This week, it's Jack Van Impey Ministries. Uh, we'll take some of the information in our database listing for Jack Van Impey Ministries and make it easy to read, more visible by putting it right on the front page of our website, along with links to find out even more about the ministry. We're doing this because with now, as I mentioned earlier, 750 ministries in our database, it's easy to get lost and not know what What's there? So we want these weekly ministry spotlights to be a guide to make our database maybe a little less intimidating to Ministry Watch users. I want to add, too, that Rod Pitzer, who was on the Ministry Watch staff for many years, is compiling these ministry spotlights for us. Rod is a certified fraud examiner and an experienced hand with our database, you might say. So I'm really pleased to have him back on the team in this role. It sounds like a great new feature. Well, I think it will be, and it joins another great new feature on the Ministry Watch website, one we've already talked about, but I'll mention it again, and that's, Christina, your column, Ministries Making a Difference. Who did you feature this week? Well, this week's column features Elder Orphan Care, and they partnered with a local men's classic cars ministry last month, and it was their first Meals on Classy Wheels initiative, and they delivered gifts and meals to vulnerable elderly in Rowan County, which is just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, And then they also delivered 264 stockings of joy to Meals on Wheels clients. Well, that that sounds like a fun ministry. <laughs> uh, wh- what else is in the column this week? Well, we noted a milestone for the Jesus Film Project. Uh, they wrapped up 2020 celebrating half a million subscribers to its YouTube channel. Um, and since the ministry started in 1979, more than 490 million people have claimed a relationship with Christ as a result of watching its films, um, and that's according to its website. Well, you know, I've been involved with the Jesus Film Project in the past, so I know it does great work. Uh, you know, I know, Christina, you've got more in this week's column, and um, more, in fact, than we can cover here as we're coming to an end of our time. So let me just say that uh, you can read Christina's new column, Ministries Making a Difference, as well as more in-depth versions of all the stories that we discussed today by going to the Ministry Watch website, which, of course, is ministrywatch.com. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Roxanne Stone, Yonat Shimron, Eric Trigestad, Rod Pitzer, and me, Christina Darnell. Thanks to our friends at Religion Unplugged for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Christina Darnell in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
And I'm Warren Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.